Well, let me add my welcome to you all this morning as we continue to make our way through our summer preaching series entitled Faith Over Fear. As we still remain in very challenging times, it will increasingly need to become the unshakable confidence we have in an all-conquering, fear-breaking King of Kings, leading the way through unsettling and uncertain times that will get to carry us into what will be a very different world, filled, I hope, with far greater possibilities in him. How then do we respond as his church to such assurances and such possibilities? Let's take a look. Holy Spirit, would you continue to be so welcome with us in our service this morning? As we take hold of your word right now, would it be like fresh air to the lungs and water to the soul? Shine a light now on your church and the purposes that you have planned for it. Would we continue to gasp in amazement at who you are, what you've done, and what remains to come. Amen. So I'm going to be reading to you this morning from Psalm 138. If you want to get hold of your Bibles, here we go. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give you thanks. Your name is steadfast love and faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life, you stretch out my hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfil his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Amen. Well, you may not think it by looking or indeed listening to me sing that I was back in the day a choir boy. Yes, hard to believe I know what happened to those lovely angelic looking features. Well, you know what, I still think I have them. Jess definitely thinks I don't, but she's of course entitled to her own opinion. In fact, I reached the stratospheric heights of head choir boy at St Andrew's Church on Kimbolton Road, just down the road from here. And once a year we used to have a, something called a sponsored psalmathon. Yes, you heard it. All 150 psalms sung back to back, non-stop throughout the day and often into the night. 
For those who live nearby to St Andrews and hear the bell rung every Sunday, let me tell you that was paid for by the burning lungs and the bleeding tonsils of many a weary ten-year-old boy who would finally croak out the painfully ironic last line of Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. By that point, of course, not a particularly edifying sound, I can tell you. Anyone heard the joke about the man who jumped out of the plane only to find his parachute wouldn't open? As he frantically pulled on the rope, another man came hurtling up in the same, in the opposite direction. As they passed, the man with the parachute shouted, do you know anything about parachutes? The other man replied, no. Do you know anything about gastos? If you have a spare day and the inclination to read the Psalms from start to finish, you will very soon discover that the life of David through the Psalms sounds very much like my corny joke. You will discover a man who's Life consisted of great highs alongside plummeting lows and every other emotion in between. The wonderful thing about the Psalms in the way, in the way David, this chosen, anointed, mighty king and ruler, gives us the uncensored access to his personal life journals. From every painful, angry cry to every heart-bursting declaration of praise, they're all there. I often used to wonder why, at the beginning of many of the Psalms, were the words, to the choir master. Have you ever noticed that? It used to feel to me as if David himself was instructing us down the generations to sing it out. This is life in all its rawness, in all its variety of colour, from the black of despair to the rainbow colours of praise. Sing it out. Our Lord God Almighty wants to hear it all. David, through the Psalms, wanted to give us written permission to be human, to be fragile, to be angry and disappointed to be lost and doubting alongside being uncontainable in our expression of wonder, praise and thanksgiving. Although around 40% of the Psalms are read as laments, as cries of despair, often in the hands of fear, what gloriously triumphs above them are the cries of thanksgiving and gratitude. Hallelujah. And it's these last two I want to focus on this morning. As I said earlier, our summer preaching series is looking at how, as his church, we learn to go together after greater faith. Not allowing fear to shape who we are or decide in which direction we get to go. A vital ingredient in the journey with faith in this next season will be thanksgiving. 
It was always thanksgiving that drew David back to his utter dependence on God, to the heart of the constant restorer of his soul. Thanksgiving time and time again was David's way back to the purposes and the direction of his life. And for many of us living through seasons of hard and uncertain times right now, it will get to be ours too. So how do we go about allowing thanksgiving to become one of the weapons we use in our battle together over fear? I guess a good place to start would be to understand what is really meant by thanksgiving. I'm often asked what the difference is between thanksgiving and praise and in a way there's very little. Thanksgiving and praise should really always be talked about in the same context, certainly at least in the same sentence. But for those who would really like to know, perhaps this might help. In Thanksgiving we list God's benefits. In praise, God is the benefit. Thanksgiving is like a child opening a gift from a parent who throws their arms around them saying, thank you, thank you. It's just what I wanted, it's wonderful. Praise is what happens when that same child can pause and look up from the gift into the parent's eyes and say, you're wonderful. I wonder how many parents get that. And that's of course what we do when we worship. But for the purposes of this morning, I'm not really wanting to separate the two. They're a complementary pair meant to go together. But what does it mean to be people of God like David, where thanksgiving becomes essential to survival? Thanksgiving at times was all David had left to give. What was it about David's desperate cries of gratitude that caused God to faithfully restore him and raise him up time and time again? What was it about David's thanksgiving that stirred and turned the heart of God to revive him and re-establish him? Okay, so here you go. This is my personal stab at what I believe thankfulness before God is. Not definitive, of course, but hopefully a helpful start. Being thankful is a commodity purposely designed by God to be re received and given away. It's the sincere and natural response of the soul from a place of gratitude resulting from a freely given away act of undeserved favour. Okay, so I shouldn't be able to make a statement like that without properly unpacking it. So let me start by breaking it down a little bit. This is the first bit. Being thankful is a commodity purposely designed by God to be received and given away. Unlike a possession, what is meant, uh, which is meant for ownership, a commodity is something that is received with the sole purpose of being passed on of being exchanged, if you like, or given away. 
A commodity can be the fruit of a harvest, a gathering of goods together that's of value and worth, not meant to be kept or owned by the receiver. Also, a, a commodity requires a storehouse. One of the other helpful definitions of thankfulness I found in preparing this was of thankfulness being likened to a, a reservoir needing to be filled. And of course, a reservoir is a place that gets to be filled from one source with the sole purpose of it then being opened up and poured out onto another. This definition then went on to say that not only as men and women and children of Christ do we become reservoirs of thanksgiving, needing to be poured out towards a faithful God, but his church itself becomes the ultimate reservoir of collective praise and thanksgiving. And of course, the one that gets to fill that reservoir is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets to reveal the glory of Christ over his church. He causes it to gasp in wonder at his majesty. And as a result, thanksgiving then becomes free-flowing and uncontainable, much like the bursting heart of David. Okay, on to the second part. Thankfulness comes as, as a result of a sincere response of the soul from a place of gratitude resulting from a freely given act of undeserved favour. Have you ever been on the other end of hollow thanks? Hollow thanks is in fact a, a near impossible to disguise. I'm sure most of us have, have received it at some point. Thanks offered as an obligation, perhaps through the need to do the right thing, given begrudgingly, maybe even with an ulterior motive attached to it, can feel empty and worthless, can't it? I'm sure that we've all been there. I love the message version of Job 1, which says, um, hollow men and hollow women will rise up the moment a mule begins to talk. Worldly thanks and gratitude will only ever be at best well-meant or heartfelt. It may even have genuine sincerity attached to it. And of course, I, I'm truly grateful for it when it comes my way, don't get me wrong. But I know that thankfulness like this, in, in this form, in this earthly context, can never be used as a substitute before a sacrificial God. It can never be sincerely used in the shadow of the cross and the empty grave or before the spectacle of the throne room and the seated Christ, before the one whose face shines like the sun in all its brilliance. Thanksgiving offered back from the fragile human heart alone will only ever struggle to match the great act of love that was so willingly paid the price for it. Because true and sincere thanksgiving set before a loving God roots itself deep.
deep into the knowledge of a life undeserved. The knowledge of a life that's been paid for at such an agonising cost. True, sincere thanksgiving like this comes from a spirit-filled reservoir of thanks, where the only response left is unreserved gratitude. This was God's design for thanksgiving from the very start. It was never meant to be something man should ever try to manufacture or somehow reproduce. Godly thanksgiving has elements unique only to him. A piece of heavenly engineering, if you like, meant for his glory and our good. You see, built into the great sovereign design of thanksgiving is the return gift of his favour. The continual revelation of grace and mercy that abundantly flows back into our lives. Thanksgiving is not only a river designed to flow towards the throne, but as a consequence, it then becomes a far greater river flowing with far greater power and purpose from the throne of God. Thanksgiving not only satisfies the glory of God, it releases the glory of God. We get to wait for the returning wave of his goodness to crash back over us. Have you ever felt that when we worship together sometimes? Our thanksgiving returns to us a thousandfold, a cleansing, a purifying, a restoring, a reviving and a re-establishing of his church. Did you know that thanksgiving is sin beating? Thanksgiving and sin will always struggle to share the same space in our lives. Ingratitude and gratitude are incompatible. When our reservoir of thanksgiving is full, sin has nowhere to inhabit. It's a simple case of being too full to indulge. In Genesis 39, we read the account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph was so full of thanks for his master Potiphar, so grateful for the trust that he had been given over his household, even over his wife. As a result, Joseph couldn't bring himself to succumb to the many sexual advances Potiphar's wife had made on him. Joseph's thank tank was so full, sin was unable to prevail. God's design for thanksgiving has built within it power over sin. It sets us up as conquerors over conspirators. It allows us to triumph over temptation. God's intention all along is that we are to be so full of him that there's no room in the inn for sin. Thankfulness is fear-beating too. I go back to David for this one. Psalm 23 says this, 
of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom, I sh whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arises against me, yet I will be confident. David learned how to combat fear. There were definitely times when David lost the plot or got caught up in his own despair. But he always came back to the realisation that the only way to combat fear was to praise and give out thanks. He knew the only way to raise himself above the deepening fear that often gripped him was to give God thanks for who he was and what he could do and what he already had seen him do. Lord, hear my prayer and listen when I ask for mercy. I call to you in times of trouble because you will answer me. Lord, there is no God like you and no works like yours. The Psalms are littered with David's, David, David's cries for help mingled amongst his absolute certainty of God, of God is and what he can do. It's David's hallmark cry. And so it should be ours too. David understood that when he cried out for help and cried out with thanksgiving at the same time, God would break his fear. Thanksgiving breaks the power of fear over our lives. Use it. Make it your weapon of choice that takes it down and drives it out. Although, as I said, God puts us with, uh, within, within us a reservoir of thanksgiving designed to be filled, his ultimate reservoir of thanksgiving will always be his church. God works by the measures of multitudes. That's why heaven looks like heaven. If you want to know what his ultimate plan for thanksgiving is, read the descriptions of heaven. Read Revelation 7. Read Revelation 19. Then I heard something like the voice of, great, of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Now I know many of us are not ready for heaven yet. Maybe after so many weeks of lockdown, perhaps some of us are, I don't know. But for those of us who aren't, we still have a job to do. We have, to jo we have a job to do in joining the multitudes who make up his church, who get to cry out in thanksgiving together like never before, whose reservoirs are being filled by the sight of the glory of a risen and conquering Christ. 
what will set his church apart? How will it get to stand out as his city on the hill, as the world begins to reel, and it will, from the shockwaves of COVID-19? Will it be its faith? Will it be its fearlessness? Will it be the way it pours out its thanksgiving, even as the waters threaten and rise? I so do hope so. Brothers and sisters, let's not be people who hunker down, who do nothing else but brace themselves for the worst, who just carry on feeding the poor, comforting the lonely and hurting, however important, of course, that is to do right now. But above all, we have to be among those who join the collective sound of praise and thanksgiving, rising up above the fear and uncertainty that is still yet to come. Let's ready ourselves for this time. Every opportunity we have to be together, let's call out thanksgiving from each other. Let it be what starts our meetings and ends our meetings and everything else in between. Let me remind you again, the Holy Spirit is not restricted by Zoom or masks, or any other kind of social distancing. Don't not turn up to a meeting because you have resigned yourself to that. When invited, he will still be present, still be heard, and still be moving among us with power and authority. I've seen it, and I'm, I'm increasingly seeing it and feeling it in every meeting that I get to go to. Zoom or any other strange way we are meeting with each other at the moment may feel at times to us like a compromise or a good stab at being together in difficult circumstances. But it's not to him. To him, it's still open season on revival. It's still about powerful encounter. It's still for him about the restoration of lives and his church. We need to be turning up at every opportunity, whatever it is. We need to be turning up. We need to be feeding each other with testimony, with fresh revelations of his word. We need to be calling out one another praise and thanksgiving, adding our voices to worship, getting lost again in wonder as we train our eyes back away from the fear that imprisons to the great glory of Christ that sets us free. What pours out from his church, he will pour back a thousandfold. Why don't we stand if we can? Lord, as we now come and take time at your table, we remember the very source of our thanksgiving. Lord, where it all began, where it all flows from. While we're here, Holy Spirit, come and fill us again with the power of thanksgiving. Fill us again with the sin-conquering, fear-beating, joy-filling, 
prison breaking, courage building, life transforming ability to raise our heads, our arms, our voices, our very beings in total gratitude to you, to what you've done and what you've yet to do in us. Fill the reservoir of your church, Lord. Let it join the multitudes of heaven in endless, grateful praise and thanks to you. Amen.